chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. We begin in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, or of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, essaying to do, were drowned. We'll pause there. We're not going to get this far tonight, but let's, so let's pause there in our reading. Go back to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Genesis chapter 22 is where the story is. God speaks to Abraham and he says, Isaac, uh, says Abraham, I want you to go to mountain where I'll show you, and I want you to offer your son, your only son Isaac, as a burnt sacrifice. And Abraham got up the next morning, he said, Abraham, Isaac, let's go. He got two of the servants and a donkey, and they headed off, and they went three days' journey from Beersheba to Jerusalem. Only the city of Jerusalem wasn't there at the time. They went up on the mountain that's kind of in the middle of the city, Mount Moriah. On the uh, east side, you have uh, Mount, uh, Mount of Olives, and on the west side, you have Mount Zion, and on the north side, you have Mount Scopus, and on the south side, I don't know what the name of that mountain is, I just know there is one. And and the Tyropian Valley and the Kidron Valley and the Valley of Gehenna, they all run down into this little narrow valley that runs at the end of this mountain on the south and the end of the Mount of Olives and runs down that way down into the uh, wilderness of Judea. 
And uh, so uh, Moses, uh, excuse me, Abraham and Isaac and the young men get there to the foot of Mount Moriah. And Abraham tells the young men, now you all wait here while the lad and I go up and make the sacrifice. And they start up the mountain. As they're going up the mountain, Isaac, who's now carrying the wood, says, uh, hey, Dad, I've got the wood. You've got the coals in the censer to start the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham makes a very prophetic statement. He said, God will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. If you're not careful, you read that and you think, oh, that means God's going to provide a sacrifice. He's going to provide it himself. No, it doesn't say that. It says God is going to provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had already worked this out before the foundation of the world, before he ever created the heavens and the earth. They had worked out knowing, seeing the, the, the whole history of the earth. They saw that Adam and Eve were going to sin. They saw that people who were originally made in the image of God were going to be made in Adam's image, and they were all going to be born sinners. And the only way they could ever live in heaven with God or live in the presence of God forever was for somebody to pay for their sin. And we see that in so many incredible examples throughout the Bible. One of the first ones is in the marriage ceremony. Where God the Father says to God the Son, Will you take this woman, be your lawfully wedded wife? And Jesus said, Yeah, I will. I'll pay the bride price. God said, Do you know what the price is going to be? He said, Yeah, it's going to be my life. I'm going to shed my blood and give my life for her. That's us. And then the Holy Spirit came to me when I was 11 years old and said, will you take Jesus to be your lawfully wedded husband? No, he didn't put it pose it in those phrases. I wouldn't have known what he's talking about. Okay, I would have thought he's talking about getting married. Okay, and uh, But he said, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you, keep you from going to hell. Will you take him as your Savior? Yeah. I'm in. You know, I hopped right on it. Because I didn't want to die and go to hell. Oh, I was miserable for two weeks. Knowing that if I died, I'd go to hell. So that's the wedding ceremony example. Then there's the example in the temple where every morning the priest bring a lamb out of the flock. And they bring it to the altar and they tie it to a, a post by the altar. And as the priest who is up on the corner of the wall and pinnacle of the temple as he looks northward and sees the sun touch the snow on the top of Mount Hermon which is 30 miles away or more when he looks up there and sees the sunlight coming up I mean it happens all winter it happens all summer if, 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 you, if it's not totally overcast in, in Jerusalem you can see when the sunlight hits the top of Mount Hermon gleams I mean like a torchlight just whoa. And when he hollers, day has started. Then the lamb, the priest takes that lamb with a big knife and he slices its throat and catches the blood in a bowl. And takes that lamb and they slaughter it and takes it, puts it up on the altar. 
sprinkles the blood on the four corners of the altar. There, that lamb is offered for the sins of the people for that day. Happens again on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They bring two lambs or two goats, and they bring them there. And one of them gets killed, and the blood poured out, and the kids the blood in the bowl, and he takes it into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles it on the mercy seat, of the, which is the lid for the Ark of the Covenant. And then they take the other goat, and the high priest pronounces all of the sins, confesses all the sins of the people on this other goat. And they take it out into the wilderness and turn it loose. It's the scapegoat that carries their sins away. And so you got one lamb that is killed for the sacrifice of the people, for the sins of the people. And the blood is shed. And the other lamb carries the sin away as the scapegoat. All of these pictures. And then we get here to Abraham and Isaac, and God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, up to the mountain that I'm going to show you and offer him there as a burnt offering. And he takes him up there, and he's getting ready to cut his throat and shed the blood. Nowhere do we see Isaac objecting or telling his dad no or rebelling or saying, you can't do that. That speaks a great deal to the character that Abraham lived out before his children. Especially before Isaac. Isaac knew if his dad was doing something, it was because he thought God commanded it. Thought God wanted it. So Isaac lays down on the altar. Abraham gets ready to cut his throat. And the angel says, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham stops. Says, touch not thy son. Do him no harm. About this time, this ram caught with his head caught in brambles of a bush, and you think, well, that doesn't seem very realistic. Well, you hadn't seen the bushes in Israel. I mean, it's easy to get tangled up. <laughs> and this ram's over there, can't get loose. And uh, he says, sacrifice that instead. But we go back to this verse, and. It was God who provided himself a sacrifice. Not a one time for Abraham's lifetime for his family. No, not that kind of sacrifice. Not a one day sacrifice like the lamb that was slain in the morning and again in the evening. Not the Yom Kippur lamb which was slain to cover the sins of people for a year. No, when Jesus died, he was the once and for all sacrifice. He didn't just pay the interest payment on sin. He paid the principal. He paid off sin's debt. Therefore, Satan has no authority and no rights over you. All he can do is try to deceive you, try to entice you, try to seduce you, try to tempt you. But he can't make you sin anymore. You get to choose. And it's so much easier when you choose not to. You know? You think it's going to be harder because Satan makes the temptation seem so enticing and so real. And But when you choose not to sin, Satan leaves and the Holy Spirit comes in. And, whoa! 
It's almost like getting saved all over again. I mean, party time. Because of the peace that passes all understanding. And so, he that had received the promises that God was going to raise up seed like the sands of the seashore and like the stars of heaven in Isaac, through Isaac, he offered up Isaac. He was willing to kill his son. Why? Because he had faith. He accounted that if the only way God could keep his promise was to raise Isaac from the dead, then God would have to raise him from the dead. Consider that just for a moment. God makes you a promise. And there's 365 of them in Scripture. One for every day of the week. I mean, every day of the year. Yeah, one for every day of the week. And every week of the month and every month of the year. Okay, 365 promises in the Word of God for you. God makes you a promise and a situation comes up where you think, Oh, Lord, I don't see any way. Well, God may have to do a miracle. But God always keeps His promises. If Isaac had lain there and Abraham had gone ahead and cut his throat, offered him as a sacrifice, he probably would have sat down there on that mountain and waited for God to raise Isaac from the dead. He would have had to wait three days. Why? Because it's a picture of God sacrificing his own son. And Jesus lay in the grave how long? Three days. He goes up. In verse 20, he says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Jacob was the second born child. Esau should have gotten everything. And instead, Esau sold his birthright. He sold away his, his right as firstborn son to inherit everything. And then when God when excuse me, when Jacob got ready to offer the blessings. Jacob and his mother took things into their own hands rather than allowing God to do what God wanted him to, wanted to do. They took things into their own hands. And God still worked it all out for good because Jacob then got the blessing. And Isaac was blind. He couldn't see which of the boys it was. He could only tell by feeling of them. And Jacob had that goat's hair on his arms and he felt like Esau. Esau must have been a hairy rascal. Stiff hair. Because goat's hair is not all that smooth and soft. Okay? By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, took the two sons of Joseph. Joseph brought, him, brought them before him and Jacob asked to see them and they came in before him and Manasseh was under his right hand. Ephraim was under his left hand because the oldest got the right hand blessing and the youngest got the left hand blessing. And, and Jacob crossed his hands. Joseph said, no, no, Dad, no. Jacob said, no, God knows what he's doing. You let God do what he wants to. God offered them the blessing. 
Ephraim entered into the land, and the ten northern tribes of Israel eventually became known as Ephraim. We generally, we preachers generally say Israel because it's easier than having to stop and explain it. But in the scriptures, a lot of times when it talks about Ephraim, it's talking about the whole ten northern tribes that split up under the reign of Rehoboam. Manasseh, half of his tribe entered into the land of Israel. The other half stayed on the east side of the Jordan River in Gilead and Gad and that region, uh, uh, Bashan, uh, the Golan Heights, you know, and, and all that section down on the east side of the Jordan, which is now called the whatever it is, state of Jordan, nation of Jordan. Anyhow, half of them stayed over there. It was not what God had intended. God allowed it, but it wasn't what God wanted. Imagine when God allows something in your life that is not what He wanted. Man. You say, well, what was the effect? Well, when Jesus, when Jesus came along 1,400 years later, they, uh, He and the uh, disciples sailed to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and they got up in there into the uh, into the uh, tribal area of Gad, and this maniac comes running out of the tombs, running out of the graveyard. This guy was stark naked, running and screaming, and and they had chained him up before, and he always broke the chains. I mean, he was demon possessed and and just fierce, and uh, they call him the maniac of. Gadara, Gad, Ara, tribe of Gad. What if they'd gone over? I don't know. I just know when we do what we want instead of what God wants, God still works it together for good to those that love Him. But man, sometimes it causes terrible problems. Well, let's hurry on. Joseph. By faith, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. How do you know about the departing of the children of Israel? Because Abraham had said, when God made me the promise, he's going to give me the land. He said that, that uh, my descendants are going to go into Egypt for four generations. And after four generations, then they're going to come back out of the land. It turned out to be 430 years. And Joseph knew of the promise that God had made to Abraham. He knew the promises that God made to Isaac. He knew the promises that God made to his dad, Jacob. He knew them all. And in that promise, he knew that one of these days, God was going to come and the children of Israel were going to leave Egypt and go back to the land that God promised Abraham. God didn't promise Abraham anything on the west side of the Nile River. He promised him everything up to the Nile, but nothing on the other side of the Nile. And so when Joseph gets ready to die, he calls his brothers and his family in, and he says, I'm fixing to die. I'm old, like 127. And he said, when I die, since I'm the vicier of Egypt... They're going to embalm me. They're going to put me in a grave here in Egypt. Put me in a tomb, you know. Y'all can come by and put rocks on it every once in a while. 
they don't use flowers. They use rocks. Rocks are more permanent sign of respect. You know, you put a flower up there and two weeks later, things all wilted and dead, look, unless it's silk. And after six months, even the silk ones are dead and rough looking. Let's take a rock. I mean, a year later, that still looks like a rock. <laughs> so, Joseph says, uh, however, when God comes and takes y'all out of Egypt, take my bones with you. Now, when Jacob died, Joseph took his bones to Hebron and buried him in Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac were buried. Okay? When Joseph died, they buried him in Egypt. And then the night of the Passover, Moses sends word to all the people, gather your stuff, we're leaving. And he goes and gets the bones of Joseph out of the tomb. You say, was it in a sarcophagus? I assume, but I don't know. I just expect it was a mummy. And, and they took it out, and they took it with them when they went to Israel. Forty years they carried that casket. And Moses didn't carry it. He just went and got it. So you got to figure it was either some folks from the tribe of Manasseh or the tribe of Ephraim. Because I don't see anybody other the other tribes wanting to carry Joseph's bone. But, but somebody transported that thing all through the wilderness for 40 years. Everywhere they went, they took the bones of Joseph. They crossed over into Israel 40 years later, Jericho, and they defeated Jericho. And then they got beat, whooped up on at Ai, and then they defeated Ai. And then they did this little circle around from Jerusalem around to the south. And, and then they came back north, and they did this circle around to the north until they'd taken all the major cities. And then they buried Joseph in the territory of the Ephraimites. It's in the West Bank. You still go there. It's kind of dangerous. The Palestinians own the town. And, uh, but once a year, the, the Jews get the army together, and they say, we're going, you know, a bunch, of, a bunch of the rabbis. They go to Joseph's tomb, and they clean it up, and then they leave. Joseph, by faith, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because Joseph believed God's promise. Joseph believed God's promise. That's faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Joseph... He gives, I mean, he's thinking clearly up to the end. So he calls the family and, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to die. I'm old. I'm sick. I'm going to die. And when I die, and God comes to lead you all out of Egypt, take my bones with you. Because I want to be buried in the same country where my Messiah is going to be buried. Where he's going to be born. Faith. Faith.
Larry Kellett, Larry and Joan Kellett from Arkansas brought Mary's puppy to her. And Larry Kellett was the one who was standing outside the restroom when my mother passed away. And he told me the story. He said, I don't know that you've ever heard it. And I told him I had heard parts of it, but no, I didn't know he was the one who was there. And uh, he said after the uh, paramedics got there and the EMTs and they took her to the hospital, he said there was a woman who had been standing in the restroom washing her hands when this whole thing went down. And uh, he said... uh, He looked at the woman. She's still standing there over on the side of the, not in the restroom, but over to the side. And and he walked up to her and he said, "Uh, are you okay? And she said, she said, I think so. But she said, that was so weird. He said, what do you mean? She said, I heard her in there talking to somebody. And all of a sudden she said, Lord, I'm coming. And then it got quiet, and I heard her hit the floor. She said, I, that's just so so strange to me. Larry said, I looked at her, and I said, if you knew that lady, you wouldn't think that was strange at all. She knew where she was going, and she knew the God who was taking her. Lord, I'm coming. How about you? Yeah, maybe not tonight. Maybe not tomorrow. But I'm coming. Because of the promises of God. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Dear Lord, help us never to look at it the same again. Help us to realize that each verse has significance. Even the verses we don't understand, like... For it to cause way into it, parbar. Until we understand the significance of that, we don't know. We don't really know what he's talking about. And here in Hebrews chapter eleven, help us to see that every verse is just talking about people who lived their lives because they had faith in you, and they wanted to please you by acting on that faith. Dismiss us with your love. Lord, bless the preparations for the the meal on Saturday and the concert on Saturday and the services on Sunday. We will give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Now, before you leave.